All right, this is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, um, podcast number something. I've completely lost track, and we've been away for a couple of weeks. Um, so today we're back with Michael Petroselli. Uh, hi, Mike. How's it going, John? And this is, you're in, uh, where? Reading, Pennsylvania. I uh, recently moved to South Carolina. You're in South Carolina? No kidding. Yeah. For real. I, uh, the most yeah. racist state in America. But right. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, the interesting distinction of being in a city where the American Legion owns a war memorial that separates vets by color. <laughs> so South Carolina is a trip. But um, I believe James Brown was born in South Carolina. So um, they do have they do have some redeeming qualities, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, we're here still in the midst of um, COVID. And I want to introduce this podcast um, saying a couple of things and then segueing into to Mike talking um, about the Mercers. And, and this morning I wrote a little thing in social media talking about conspiracy theory, that conspiracy theory in quotation marks has become the most feared appellation um, in the world. People would rather be accused of child molestation than being uh, a conspiracy theorist. It shuts down all conversation. It shuts down discourse. It's incredibly effective. Um, it's an incredibly effective way to neutralize uh, dissenting opinion, and, and it's employed all the time. And it makes one wonder, um, just as a sidebar, if you know Alex Jones and David Icke and these people are not on the payroll because um, they're of enormous service to the ruling class. Anyway, um, the, but, but the point was that... Uh, People so want to avoid being associated with, like Alex Jones, understandably, right? Um, that that the already the pre-existing tendency toward consensus in the U.S. is amplified, um, and, and we see it with COVID because it's been positively. Um, I don't know, mind warping for me to watch this. And, and I know there's people, my more establishment friends, what did Chomsky say that, that educated white 30%, right? That, that are target, a targeted demographic because they're seen as cultural decision, social cultural decision makers. Those are the people that would, would tar and feather you for not wearing a mask right now. And they're the people that shun me and anybody else offering a, a a dissenting opinion. Um, anyway, we're still in the midst of that in the U.S. Things are returned to normal in Norway, by the way, more or less. I still can't go to Sweden, but okay. Anyway, um, that's a kind of segue, Mike, to you, because you wanted to talk about, or we were chatting before we started here, um, about the Mercer family and their influence and whatever. Talk to me. Um, yeah, so the Mercers, um are an interesting bunch of people, uh, you know, really vicious sociopath types. Um, so Rebecca Mercer is a big money player in DC. Uh, she's the funder of Breitbart. Um, and her father, Robert Mercer. She's is, also terrifying looking. Uh, yeah, they're, they're really, uh, you know, like a truly, truly old school, British family, you know, uh, they're all terrifyingly involved with themselves and, you know, Habsburgian. Um, <laughs> so, hey, uh, they're the funders behind Breitbart. They're also the owners of Cambridge Analytica, which is, of course, the private spy corporation um, who most recently were known for, um, what was it, uh, interfering with the British elections. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I, I'm just going to interrupt you briefly because I, I did a radio spot today for Sputnik in Edinburgh. We were talking about Scottish nationalism, and but that, 
that topic came up, the accusations of Russian interference in UK elections. Um, is there, I, you know, and I said, if Russia were guilty of everything they were accused of, they would be a remarkable country. Yeah. You know, I Very mean, impressive. incredible country because they virtually have done everything the last 10 years. Right. Anyway, continue. <laughs> well, and debatably everything since the founding of the Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah. They've, they've been manipulating people across the globe for the past century. And it's, it's really, truly impressive. Um, so Robert Mercer is also a close associate with um, Betsy Devos's brother, of course. Eric Prince is uh, the former head of Blackwater and uh, best known for human trafficking in Yugoslavia, killing civilians in Iraq, um, actively recruiting um, white nationalists and Christian terrorists to go to Iraq. Those were intentional groups that he picked um, just because he knew that they would be more vicious there. Um, truly a horrific human being. Uh, his sister, Betsy Devos, is, of course, Secretary of Education, which she's well qualified for. Um, <laughs> well, Eric Prince, I know, floated. He's a, you know, he's a shadow advisor to Trump. He actually has quite a say in, in things. He's an influential guy in, in the Trump administration. But he floated the idea of becoming viceroy of Afghanistan. That was his term. Yeah. Um, which tells you something, I guess. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, him and the Mercers are uh, also close. Uh, Blackwater was at one point kind of the military wing of Cambridge Analytica and, you know, the, you know, Blackwater acts as paramilitary and Cambridge Analytica acts as spies for them. And it's, uh, it's great. You know, what could go wrong <laughs> with that? But both of these groups are pushing this kind of culture war narrative where they go online and attack left-wing groups and uh, encourage right-wing right white nationalists to ever greater levels of insanity, right? Because that's what they can right. do. Right. Manipulate. And this is, yeah, you know, and this is the thing. Um, I'm just going to interject this briefly. Um, this, is, this is what is frightening about the far-right Republican um, contingency, you know, right now, and, and the Trump presidency is, um, they openly ask for violence. I mean, they do. And, and there's no, you know, there's no kind of masking that. As bad as, you know, Biden will be as bad as anything, but I don't remember, you know, Democrats ever doing that. But, but uh, what's interesting is, um, that that Trump at the same time is saying, well, I, you know, he's still kind of anti-mask and he's pulling money back from uh, research for a vaccine and, you know, research uh, or, or funding for, you know, shoring up the National Guard or some, whatever the, the you know, martial wing of uh, the National Guard was. Uh, in case of, you know, COVID hysteria or social unrest due to, you know, hospitals being overrun. All of that is very rational. I mean, he's right. He's, he's right for the wrong reasons, you know. Um, but of course, there should be no money spent on a vaccine for a virus that doesn't need a vaccine. It's all crazy. Um, and this is, but this is the problem with Trump. I mean, you find yourself in positions of agreement accidentally with the Trump administration um, for, for all kinds of, you know, incorrect reasons, he ends up in positions that are actually occasionally like correct, you know, blind squirrel gathers some nuts. Um, and and uh, this is the problem. And, but it, it, the reason I brought that up right here was your mention of the, the, this manufacturing, this culture war. Um, so right. I'm gonna let you continue off that and then we'll talk about that more per se down the road here. So yeah, continue, man. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's fine. Um, so they, them along with um, a former major general in the US military uh, who was the head of the psychological operations division, um, headquart headquartered at the seventh psychological operations group, US Army Reserve, 
San Francisco, California. Um, this man, Paul Valley, writes a paper called From PSYOP to Mind War. Um, and coincidentally, all three of these people, none of whom are connected with intelligence anymore, of course, right? Because they're all retired from that. They all have different jobs now. And we all know that you just get to leave being in intelligence. You just walk away from it. It's fine. <laughs> um, of course. They all push this QAnon narrative um, where they run an old CIA gambit, which is you, you put the truth next to a ridiculous lie, right? So um, the rich run pedophile rings. Yeah, probably. Definitely true. We've seen that this is a fact. But then they say something like, well, that's why JFK Jr. never actually died, and he's going to come back and get rid of all the pedophiles for us. So what kind right. of insanity is that? <laughs> right. No, no. I know. This is a, this is, but this is, it is a general sort of like sowing of confusion, you know? Right. Um, and, and it's, it's, uh, you see it with, I mean, Russia this which has become this kind of avatar for all things evil and and disruptive and uh it is the the bogeyman for um like the american unconscious or something all you have to do is suggest that russia was behind it anything that happens russia is behind it um and uh you know like you say you can you can point to these these things like you know i don't know the the virus began you know mere blocks from a virology center in wuhan <laughs> and, but you know put it next to and of course that's why the moon landing never took place right right and because that uh, are just, because kubrick yeah. was just such a good director right yeah i had an argument with somebody today about a friendly argument who i mean he actually believes you know they never got to the moon um it's funny the hold that stuff has on people. I mean, I hate to diss anybody for, for you know, distrusting anything from the government, but um, there are limits, I suspect. Anyway, um, yeah, th th this the culture war part of this. This is this is kind of what fascinates me, um, and and I just want more of your thoughts on that. Actually, so a lot of it. Uh, comes out of Gladio, actually. Um, or at least the tactics come out of Gladio or something similar to it. Um, right. Especially France, where Gladio was never quite the open thing that it was in Italy, where it was kind of an open secret within the government. You know, there were so many people who had joined Propaganda 2 at the time, something like 2,500 members and I think 75 of them were high-ranking government officials. Like, you know, they, it, was a, it was a known secret that like, hey, we're planning to kill all the communists, it's fine. Um, and so in France, it, it's kind of more secretive, it's a little more hidden, but the 11th Dushak, which is their special forces at the time, they start spreading this rumor that all of the politicians are corrupt. You can't trust any of them. You can't trust any of the politicians. All of them are evil. Did you see how they just capitulated to the French Socialist Party? Did you see how they weren't willing to just murder people in Algeria? How are they so weak? How are they so corrupt? And then, uh, so this starts to get spread around their special forces and all of a sudden, um, it culminates in the May 58 overthrow of the Fourth Republic of France. <laughs> You know, and it's it's right. a very like how many how many three percenters who think that, you know, Trump is here to drain the swamp, do you think would be willing to pick up guns to do the exact same thing? Well, and right. then right. so a lot of this is all psychological operations. It's uh, running radio and making sure that, you know, like the French equivalent of Alex Jones or Robert Mercer's Breitbart gets blasted out to the 11th through shock as often as possible. Right. And it's cooperation within the government and outside of the government to make these Gladio agents cooperate. Well, I'm fascinated, you know, culturally with, and this is, because we have, we're introducing a lot of threads here. Um, but so I'm going to try to keep track Sorry of my, about that. Adult, my adult <laughs> brain, but I'm fascinated with the role of, um, of the Dominionists and the Trump administration. Um, and, and the evangelical, the radical Pentecostalism of um, 
that that you know is now actively assisting U.S. Uh, CIA uh, operations in South America. Then in Central America again, I think, what's his name? Jimmy Morales, is that his name? I forget, to be honest. Um, the guy who, who um, is an evangelical psycho and, and led the coup against Morales in Bolivia. Oh, shit, yeah. And then Bolsonaro's government got shoved into power through, um, you know, rich, radical Christians. Um, and Pompeo and Kudlow and DeVos and Rick Perry, all of these guys, um, the chicken guy, what's his name? Um, all of them are in the Trump administration. All of them are dominionists, you know, and, and this is strangely um, seldom talked about, you know. I mean, I saw a New York Times, I've mentioned this before in interviews, but that there was a New York Times piece about um, when Pompeo was, um, you know, accepted, um, confirmed as as Secretary of State, there was you know, Mike Pompeo tries to balance faith and you know the real world in his role as Secretary of State. Why why is the New York Times writing such a puff piece? You know, why aren't they saying this fucking nut believes in angels and the rapture and believes that? all other religions are evil and that white Christian men should rule the world. Why don't you just say that? You know, because that's true. Um, but it's, but it's never mentioned. So, so this is another strain. Well, that's of, not, of, that's not fair and balanced journalism, John. You have yeah. to be fair and balanced. That means making sure that no one's ever upset by what you say about them. By, yeah. And so they don't, so this is never talked about just quite how, um, how insane these people are and and you know this is this is i don't know far i i the the culture war part of it because this seems to have become a thing again right right the old the old culture wars have resurfaced and i don't even keep up with it you know but it's the cancel culture and it's all you know it kind of the front edges of this shit began with jordan peterson making an appearance and i suppose the groundwork was laid by zizek in in um you know who structurally does much of what you just described the cia doing with propaganda um you know he does it in in a in his sort of pseudo philosophical um tirades but but there but there's something there's something going on and and the third factor in all of this that interests me is with the COVID is the, is the psychological part of it. You know, there was that Jeffrey Tucker, who's an economist, wrote a piece the other day and he said he was making an appearance on TV and he passed an old gentleman in the green room who was a practicing psychiatrist and who was visibly upset. He had done an appearance on the show, a little soundbite. And the old man said, yeah, there's madness in the air. I have been treating these kinds of delusions and paranoia for my whole life. And now I see it everywhere collectively in this COVID thing. Anyway, that was, that was the hook to Tucker's piece. But I think that's, that's kind of how I feel. Like, what is going on? How do all these things tie together somehow? Anyway, um, well, but continue. It's funny that you mentioned culture war in relation to journalism because I was uh, a friend sent me the Studs Terkel interview with Hunter S. Thompson the other day <laughs> about fear and loathing '68, and uh, I was listening to it. And at one point, Studs Terkel says, "Well, do you think that your journalism is fair and balanced?" And Hunter says, "Well, I, I, I don't think any journalism is fair and balanced." And he says, "Well, isn't that what journalists should aspire to?" And Hunter says, well, yeah, if you could do it, you would be probably the best journalist in the world. And he says, but I think that my journalism is honest. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, this is, this is, it's, it, there are the strange, there's something, you know, there's something, it's like Jordan Peterson is a moron, right? And he's a reactionary moron. He's anti-Marxist. He's anti-communist. Um, and he's all told a kind of, coffee table chit chat uh, level, I don't know, circus act. Um, but he's always being juxtaposed with people that are genuinely frighteningly stupid, right? 
and um or frighteningly evil yeah yeah you know some some um trans person who believes you know everybody should i don't know you know call themselves um a nothing and uh you know but then children should be there all these things that everybody knows are going to evoke a very negative response in the general populace they're pretty much crazy and are, are positions not held by you know more than four people in the world um, and then Peterson gets to shut that down and he looks very sane and rational and masculine and and that's the setup right um, right they pick the least common denominator of any group and say well you're you know this is the dumbest that we can find and so uh, right. now Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro gets to debate him congratulations <laughs> right right and so you know there there's the, the so yeah I find it when you look at the Mercer Empire you know, Rebecca Mercer's terrifying. There's something about daughters. It's, you know, the sons of powerful, you know, sociopathic men, Saddam Hussein's sons and uh, Donald Trump's sons. And that's one thing. And, but, but there's another thing about the daughters of those kinds of powerful men that is always more frightening, and I'm not sure why. Um, but Rebecca Mercer is a perfect example. My God, she's terrifying. Well, and Rebecca Mercer's brother is just like incompetent and off getting right. drunk somewhere, I think, probably, you know, doing the normal <laughs> trust fund kid thing. Um, her and her sister, meanwhile, are very intently involved. And I mean, like the one Trump son, I read a story that Donald tried to leave him somewhere once. <laughs> tried to leave him with his ex-wife when they got divorced. It was just like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't care if I take him or not. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'll take this Thunderbird, but you keep, you know, Don Jr. here, okay? Um, yeah, the Trump boys are truly, um, are truly kind of, I don't know, pathos-inducing or something. They're just so sad. Um, but anyway, the, 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 there is a kind of, um, creation of this, this confusion, you know, a, a collective confusion out there. You, that, that, that was, that was always part of the Breitbart, um, empire's, you know, playbook was always somehow that kind of thing. And then, you know, Bob Mercer, um, Rebecca's dad is a very curious guy. He's one of the world's uh, most avid collectors of um, toy trains, you know? Really? Those, yeah, yeah. Little known fact. Um, or maybe it's well known, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's one of those very, very rich men with, you know, very peculiar hobbies, children's hobbies that I, I forget there was something else that he did too that was like that. Um, kind of infantile, uh, and he's you know he's handed the reins over to Rebecca. They've withdrawn support for for Trump. They're placing it in other races uh, for uh, the Republicans, but but not in the presidential race. So I yeah I don't know how to analyze that. I'm so not interested ultimately in in you know the the outcome or the meaning of it because I think. I think we're watching something else going on with, with the whole COVID thing. Um, right. And, Let things get as fast as possible for the woke coup. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. I don't know. What's the, what's the take in South Carolina these days to, um, to, to COVID and mask wearing and. So, uh, well, the city of Greenwood just made it mandatory to wear masks. Um, but the county of Greenwood doesn't have it mandatory. So when I'm at work, I can not wear a mask, but I, I do just because a lot of our customers are elderly and, you know, like, right, right. Even, I, even yeah, a relatively I'm, minor illness can, you know, if you're 95 sure. years old, like a, a bad yeah, cold. I mean, yeah, yeah. right. And I have no problem with that. I, I mean, I think, I think um, the, the elderly should be protected instead of being culled in nursing homes, which seems to be what, what happened. Um, 
but yeah so how talk to me more about i mean i like your take on um on on the mercers and the and the whole manuf the way the the disinformation is sort of structurally being disseminated so um the paul valley role in all of this um, yeah so a lot of these like mercer and prince are both connected to peter teal um and you know teal is their boy and teal's one protege just got put into the dod which is awesome love that um <laughs> and he's kind of interesting because he represents this kind of you know weird cultural warrior booer type um who like doesn't have the same couth as the you know gates buffett style finance capital very clean cut very we're not going to tell you what's going on um you know he does things like fund hulk hogan's campaign against um what was it canadian um oh, yeah yeah well, yeah, you know, see, this is, this is, this is, I'm glad you mentioned Gates, um, because here's, a, here's a, something I have noticed with the way public narratives are, are being created these days. Um, Gates comes on the scene, I mean, he has this terrible record um, in Africa and India. I mean, and anybody can look that up. But the problem with looking up the Gates history is if you just Google Gate, Gates Foundation crimes, or if you Google is Gates, you know, wanted for murder in India, was Gates kicked out of, you know, Africa somewhere or India? You have to wade through literally two pages of Google um, responses to that. The search engine comes up with, I've counted on the first page, five official fact checkers, fact checkers. Um, you know, the Snopes kinds of thing. Um, they right. go, no, false, false, never, never happened, never happened. Like five different ones. Why are those coming up first, you know? And then the other ones are all, oh, Bill Gates has made himself a target of crazy conspiracy theorists. And, um, you know, it's really a shame and blah, blah. Bill and M Melinda Gates find it amusing that conspiracy theorists think they're evil. Da, da, da. This is like over two pages of, of Google stuff. Eventually, you know, you can, you can sift through maybe three pages of results and, and find I don't like Jake Levitch's article or or the Corbett report thing on Gates or some substantive, you know, um, analysis of what Gates was actually doing in India, what he actually did in Africa, and the appalling um, consequences of of these coercively enforced vaccination programs that that um, that he created in Africa, and of course. Um, in India too, and, and the results included, you know, unwanted sterilization and so forth of, of young girls. So um, clearly the big, you know, media platform, whether it's Google or, you know, Facebook or whatever, um, are protecting Gates and he's exerted an enormous influence and, and has spent a lot of money in neutralizing criticism of himself. Right. Uh, and all I will say is that I, what's interesting to me, besides how frightening it is and how frightening I find it, is that no matter how much money Gates spends in this charm offensive, this media charm offensive, nobody likes him anyway. He's really right. just, he's just creepy. You Everyone know? forgets why the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation exists. It's because he lost a fucking court case. Yeah. He lost a monopoly case and had to start a charity. Yeah. <laughs> it's not out of the goodness of his heart. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, and and it, it's a, yeah, I mean, his story is really sordid and, and unpleasant going all the way back to, you know, his kind of stealing stuff from his one-time partner. Um, 
you know, his name has never been associated with quality and integrity and, and honesty. Never, never in his whole life. No. Um, so, so it's, it's, but it's strange because, you know, this is the age of the screen damaged and they'll go, oh, I, somebody said Gates was, you know, he was, he was accused of terrible things in Africa. I wonder if that's true, you know, click. Oh, see, this is, this is, you know, a fact checker and says patently false. And that's as far as they take it. I, I reckon 90% of the population, that's, that's the process. People are very lazy and impatient and they don't go further than that. So- well, um, And it's not just laziness. It goes back to what um, Beller says, you know, it's related to, you know, cinema and everything is scripted. And well, you know, I, I found the result. I found the result. I did the detective work. So that means it's over, right? I fucking Googled it. And that was the entirety of the detective work. Now I'm, you know, I'm so clever. Look at me. I figured it out all on my own. Right. Absolutely right. Well, it's, it's, it's the drop down menu, right? Um, if the drop down menu isn't there, people become anxious. If where's the frequently asked questions section? Um, that almost invariably has questions that nobody frequently asks, but, but that are a form of narrative. You just read through them. There is a story in the frequently asked questions. Here are the frequently asked, you read them in order, and there's a narrative. And the narrative is, you know, don't question authority, essentially. So, yeah, um, this is, this is the, the problem. And, and the Gates, I mean, as I say, I think he's, he's unpopular because even through the mediation of screens and, and um, all these digital platforms and no matter how well lit he is in whatever color pastel cashmere cardigan he has on today, um, the guy elicits a, um, a responsive aversion the same way looking at a, a lizard's open jaws creates a kind of primordial aversion in people. Gates isn't, is, doesn't register as a nice guy, I don't think. Now that may not matter to a lot of people. They, they, will, they will repress that reflex or something um, and, it, and it won't matter. But deep down, I think there is a sense in, in people's <laughs> reptile brain that, that Gates is, is a predator of some sort, you know, that he's, that he's not who he says he is. He's not a nice guy. I mean, I wouldn't trust any man of that age who wore pastel cardigans. That's just the first thing. But um, beyond that, he's, he's creepy. And Melinda Gates is creepy too, you know. Um, and you can't miss the white supremacist message whenever they talk. They can't hide it. They can't hide it. It's right. Invariably, amazing. it has to turn into, well, the third world's overpopulated. And so their population has to be cold and, you know, yeah, it's like they can't, they can't, not, I mean, Melinda Gates, well, we don't want, these girls will be able to come on their own to the clinic and get sterilized. You know, isn't that wonderful? You know, it, you can just right. hear it. You can just hear it. It's, it's, they, they've been coached to avoid it, but they can't. It's, it's there and how they talk. It's amazing. So, um, well, and, you know, they're at least, like, the, the Gates, this is kind of what I meant by like the, especially like the South African Boer immigrant to the U.S. who starts a multi-million dollar business, whether it's Teal or Musk or um, Levchin or whoever it is, they're they don't have the same kind of tact that the American bourgeois always had to have because you know the Gates they have to dress it up as well we're doing humanitarian work. Mm -hmm. um, Meanwhile, Teal comes right out and says uh, he had to back Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan's only a single-digit millionaire and he has no power in the courts. Like, huh. wow, you're really, really saying that with a megaphone, what you're supposed to whisper, bud. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, Teal is a scary guy, right? I uh, mean, he's uh, absolutely batshit insane. Yeah. A uh, world-class chess player, which um, doesn't speak well of chess, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he's... he's um, it's funny. It's funny how um, a lot of great chess minds are very reactionary. I don't know what that means. Um, what's his name? Kasparov is, of course, rabidly reactionary. Yeah. 
Uh, it's a, it's an interesting. We can well, talk about that one day. I don't know. Kind of um, leads into what you wanted to talk about with game theory too. Uh, yeah, yeah, game theory. Let's talk about that. You know, when you view the world in terms of only rational decisions, you end up at Ayn Rand pretty quick. It's not, <laughs> you know. Right. I help anyone ever, I'm going to be disadvantaged by it. Well, are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't understand. I mean, I wish we had call-ins, you know, the Mike and John show. Okay, caller from, you know, Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, what's on your mind, Jim? Uh, because I wish somebody would, could call in and explain what, what game theory is, why Nobel Prizes are handed out to economists for their work on game theory. Because I did nothing for two days but read um, game theory. And at the end of that two days, I still don't think there's, <laughs> there's nothing there. It's gratuitous. It's, um, it's, and the gratuity is tied into what happened, I think, to psychoanalysis when it traveled from that first generation in Vienna, all of whom were socialists, by the way, Jewish radical socialists, uh, Fenichel and guys like that. And um, when it came to America, Russell Jacoby has a great book, you boys and girls listening, called Social Amnesia. Jacoby still, I think, is around out at UCLA and stuff. He's a cantankerous um, fellow, but he's brilliant. And um, Social Amnesia is a book you should read. Anyway, it's still the best book for, for what happened to psychoanalysis that went from the search for truth, the trauma of our lives, the truth, what is causing us pain and suffering, to adjustment. You will adjust to the irrational world because it will make you a better worker. You will be a more compliant, happy worker. You will fit in better. Ergo, the therapy works. Somehow, I see that in, 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 and then, you know, the evolution of this that went through the Skinner stuff, and, and then, you know, um, all the kind of biological determinism that, that cropped up, all this stuff. And the remnants of that stuff is, is still around. I mean, some of that's, you know, the residue exists in Beller's work, for example, you know, um, when, He's not at his best. Uh, but but uh, the game theory seems like a kind of strange, um, the unwanted pregnancy <laughs> that came out of that is, is game theory. Um, because I don't know what it is. Maybe you can help me. I don't know. I, to me, it's just, you know, make decisions in your own best interest. Don't rat on your friend and you'll be better off. But if you're not sure what your friend's going to do, you should rat on him because then you'll get less time either way. Like this is, this is, yeah. And I remember when the first time I, I heard something about the prisoner's dilemma and I went, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Kind of like, duh. Um, I didn't really need this whole thing. I mean, I get it, right? That, that, isn't hard to understand or, or, you know, imagine or, or fantasize about. Okay, fine. But I read a thing the other day, for example, somebody got much applause because they had written papers for, um, speaking of South Africa, South African game reserve were combating poaching and they used game theory to strategize how to catch the poachers. And I went, uh-huh. Okay, let's see what, what, is meant by that. Well, we looked where they had traveled before. We looked at the easiest routes for them to get in and out of the park. We looked at the time of day and night they used to operate, what time of the month, and, um, and we came up with a strategy to, uh, to guard those places at those times, and, and it was really successful. Truly brilliant. Yeah, and I thought, and you needed to like call this game thing. what the fuck are you talking about i mean that's just you analyze the situation right um but but this is this is part of it's connected to ai and and all the geeks that are bought into that and it's part of biocapitalism and and this whole kind of new 
techno-fascism that, um, that, is, that is accompanying the, the reset, so-called, you know, so-labeled reset, and uh, what Corey Morningstar uh, wrote about so well, and, and, but others too have written about it. Um, uh, you know, warning of the, the, the way in which all of this, and, and COVID ties into this too, of course, right? Microchipping, contact tracing, all of this stuff is a part of this, this kind of, you know, under cover of environmental sensitivity, in cover of um, health management, risk management for your health, comes this new techno-fascism. So it seems, and game theory seems like a funny byproduct of that to me. I don't know. Um. So it's funny that you mention biocapitalism because one thing I've noticed is that a lot of these very wealthy types, uh, they have this real obsession with living forever, right? Um, because there's this fear that when they, there's a fear of getting old. Um, and Ernst Bloch in Principles of Hope mentions uh, that in an unhealthy society, we have a fear of death, whereas in a healthy society, um, death is viewed as the pressing of grapes. So when grapes mature and, you know, they're going to die, but you press the grapes, make wine out of them, and then they continue to affect people past their life. Um, <laughs> these people don't view it that way. They view it as a winter. I'm going to, you know, winter comes and all, everything is dead. It's over. Um, my accomplishments no longer matter because I'm not there to appreciate them. Um, so, you know, right. they, they get very obsessed with this idea of living forever, uh, whether it's, you know, literally blood transfusions from poor young people, which there's no evidence that it works, but they're going to keep trying anyway, because God forbid they don't become a parody of themselves and become literally blood-sucking <laughs> parasites. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, that's interesting. Um you know, Elon Musk and Bezos and all these the high net worth guys and all the Silicon Valley gajillionaires. And you're right, there is a there is a there is a strange um obsession with, with immortality. And and it's a little bit I, I wrote a thing not too a couple of years ago about how Americans identify with capital. They identify with the aggressor, but they identify literally with with money. I think, yeah, um, with capital and and um, and I I think that whoever it was who first famously said people can imagine the end of the world easier than they can imagine the end of capitalism, um, that 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 is um, that is somehow connected to this. There is this. Their desire for immortality is also part of their desire for the immortality of, of capital or something. Right. Um, and boy, that Ann Carson book, Guy Zimmerman turned me on to that. And I think it's Ann Carson's her name. Um, the classicist and poet, her, her book on, on coinage is really brilliant. But anyway, I digress. Um, the, the point here uh, was that, that this, that, this denial of death, which I think is also tied into wearing masks and, and a learned innumeracy. I mean, people can't count. They go, but 17 new cases of COVID, two deaths, but 17 new cases came up this week in Connecticut. And you're going, what's the population of Connecticut? I mean, can, do you understand the proportion? We're talking about what percentages mean, what 0 0.04 means how many you know and people don't but anyway part of it is this denial of death that is that is built into all of this and and um i mean ernest becker's book is still pretty relevant um even if it's you know on some level kind of shallow but it's but he's right and that was sort of 40 years ago and and now this this weird, the hubris of immortality, this desire for immortality means to manufacture these ceremonies and 
and rituals and, and, and substitutions, avatars for the immortal gods that, that people like Elon Musk imagine themselves to be. Um, and probably Bob Mercer too, with his fucking little toy train set, you know, yeah. his engineer bill cap on. I really, that's a horrifying image, but um, that, that this is all tied into, um, to, to, how do I want to say this? To, to the way that um, biocapitalism is, is being structured and presented the narrative, the aesthetic codes of biocapitalism um, are very much um, sort of akin to what Thewellet talked about, right? With Male Fantasies, that book that, that is amazingly relevant again and again and again, that, that there is a fear of there's a fear of women, of fecundity, of moistness, fertility. Um, it's a sex, increasingly sex-negative culture, which also plays into the COVID narrative, social distancing. Teach your children to fear touch, right? Um, right. All, all of this stuff seems tied in in, in strange and complicated ways, but... Um, and I and I don't I don't have punchlines to any of it. I I just feel that that there is something there that's um, that you're quite right about about what how these guys are are manufacturing this this presentation that they're making to the world somehow. Right, know? and it becomes know. this kind of like you know weird inverse of Christianity. Um, we can make heaven on earth, and instead of drinking God's blood, we have to drink the blood of the poor and you know it it's it's primal in a way yeah it's you know blood sacrifice but i'm the god and i sacrifice to myself because the god is capital and i have the most capital um it's this like very strange distortion of spirituality and you know i'm i'm not personally religious but like i was raised Catholic and, you know, like the bread and wine literally become the body and blood of Christ. Transubstantiation is central to the mass. And, you know, uh, and that's really interesting. Yeah, go on. And I can't help but like, you know, imagine Peter Thiel and Robert Mercer, like holding the blood that they're about to inject from some poor 19 <laughs> year old up and, blessing it especially teal who's a devout christian who for whatever reason is convinced that he has to live forever which is inexplicable to me because isn't why wouldn't your goal be to get to heaven if you're that devout of a christian yeah, <laughs> you know, living, yeah. living forever well, that's, no but that's god it just triggers off this has become so complicated doesn't it i mean um yeah, the 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 teal is is literally a vampire. I think you're right, and and I mean he probably literally does this, but the sex negativity, the the um, kind of onanistic or masturbatory um, uh, new system of education. Uh, which is frightening to me and, and is incredibly, um, God, Reich was so right about that stuff. Um, but, but it's um, how that's all tied in with, uh, with how these, these, these master narratives are, are being trotted out for people. Um, I mean, my mind starts to shut down in a way because I think there's just, there's too many things here to, to talk about, in a sense, you know, you, you, the, the reset, this idea of the, this, this new green capitalism is absolutely predicated on a tacit sort of agreement that goes largely unspoken that we will cull the unwanted surplus population of the world. Right. And, and that's what's behind all the overpopulation stuff. I mean, they never say, um, you know, New Hampshire is overpopulated, you know, 
they, they they literally always mean firstly it's Africa, secondly it's the Indian subcontinent, um, and and it's it's the last installment of you know a long, ugly blood drenched history of white supremacism. I think you know, um, and and it's trotted out now in this new weird the the new sort of sexually deeply the screen life has become deeply repressed we know that it's not sensuous that theater and live performance and everything is more dionysian and and powerful that way and and yet people people are submitting obediently to the rule of the screen i think and and um Man, Cronenberg, <laughs> Videodrome. Everybody watch Videodrome again. Cronenberg's film. Um, you know, people are submitting to this and it's, it's really, um, it's so kind of dry and repressed and, um, and anal and, uh, you know, tight-lipped uh, kind of, these people are all of them um, like it's the new anti-hedonism or something. And I don't know, I'm just sort of free associating here, but. Right, um, it's, you know, it's simultaneously like hypersexualization and sterility at the same time, because to admit that either one would be, God, at least more interesting. Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, they have to produce this incredibly boring, incredibly bland kind of sexuality. And it just creates this idea that, you know, unless... Okay, so I was watching Love and Anarchy the other day. Um, <laughs> and obviously, sexuality plays a central part in that movie. Like, 80% of it is in a brothel. Um but the presentation of the fascists is that they are a simultaneously hyper aggressive sexually, but also very uninteresting sexually, not in like a, Oh, they don't have kinks way, but like they're just incredibly boring people who have sex just to have sex or, you know, are super aggressive about how they're having sex and, you know, it's always, it's always presented as some sort of, uh, you know, well, yeah, of course, of course I can fuck. Yeah. Like, congratulations, bud. We're all proud of you. Well, but you should say, I was watching the new, um, this sort of odd, very loose adaptation of Brave New World. Um, and it's not terrible. It's not terrible. I mean, some of it's, it's actually very funny um, and, and clever. And I haven't gotten to the end of it, but uh it's kind of Zardo's all over again, right? Um, it, there is a certain kind of sci-fi convention that that reflects what we're talking about, in a sense, you know, that right. it's, oh, drugs have made people perfectly happy. In this new society, there's no monogamy. Everybody is responding, all of these things. But of course, people are too bored because what they need is strife and um, jealousy and suffering. And that really is the message of the film that you know um you can't you can't have any kind of socialist um paradise because what people really crave is um our individual rights even if you're denied those rights somehow i mean it's a very strange perverse reading it's it's cleverly done but but it seems to reflect this is a popular convention you know and and um it's I mentioned Zardos because, you know, that was John Borman and as kitsch and campy as Zardos was, it's not a stupid film. And this is the inversion of it. You know, Sean Connery and Zardos comes to rescue people. It's one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? right. Comes to inject um, this sexual anarchy and, and um, excess of Dionysus again into the world and um and then is must be executed for that crime um in the new brave new world it's kind of the opposite of that 
in the same way that Girl Interrupted became the opposite inverted version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, it's very interesting because the trajectory of popular culture in Hollywood has, has never stopped going further to the right. It just never has. And now it's, it's just openly fascistic. It really is. And this is the, this is, let's, we can conclude our thing here with Trump. This is the problem with, um, with, with, you know, this, the, the, the Trump, paradox is that people will take any position, will cheer increased death and suffering if it means um, they, can, they can get Trump out of the White House. So powerful is that symbol now. And so loathed is Trump by that, by that educated white 30%. I mean, they really, 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 really hate him. And it's not that they don't have reason, they do. It's just that um, the reason anyway takes on like symbolic and parable-like qualities, I think, and paradoxical ones because, um, you know, what, Trump is this kind of overdetermined figure. He's both rapey womanizer, hyper-misogynist, um, senile and impotent, but, you know, um, golden towers and and you know the expression of this excess machismo all of these funny things um and and he's also another you know the next stage in in the validation of stupidity of of ignorance that you know you thought bush was bad wait till we get to donald trump right he um, really represents like the irony of capital where you know uh beware the Stalinist left because they want the world drab and gray and without interest. And like in reality, um, capital has become more disinteresting than Stalinism ever could have. And not because it's drab and gray, but because it's horrific neon lights in Times Square. Right. It's an inundation to the point where no, you can't see any of it for real. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, I think we live in an amazingly sex-negative society. Um, people are addicted to various registers of pornography and, and um, often, uh, you know, degrading pornography in which the message is, is degradation or shame or, or you know, self-flagellation self of some sort. Um, it's It's... Uh, one that is constantly caught up in in idiotic distractions, you know, cultural war distractions. Oh, should we have bathrooms that are labeled this or that, or should we use pronouns? And all of these utter distractions that really deep down nobody cares about. People are terrified of their impending homelessness and hunger uh, more than anything, I think, and this sort of retail um, apocalypse that that is upon um, America, and and yet, largely, people are unable to to fit these things into into a, a revolutionary narrative somehow, and and that's the tragedy at at present, I think, and and the enigma of of the symbolism of Trump. I don't know, but anyway, give me your last thoughts, man, and um, this has been really fun. Yeah, it was uh, it was a really good conversation. Um, I'm glad that we got to hit on how game theory makes these people all like tiny Ayn Rands and is actually boring and idiotic. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the message. Game theory is boring. Um, yeah, it's just yeah, uninteresting. It, all right, well, we'll do it again. Let's do it again. And I'm really glad... Um, we got to catch up and I here I discovered you're in South Carolina now. So um wow, the world changes. Yeah. I am still in Norway. Okay, guys. And also um the on aesthetic resistance, the quarantine one acts. Um there'll be a new play up recorded uh podcast uh by new play by Wes Walker, one of my favorite writers. And um 
another one after that, and another one after that, and I think that will conclude round two, and then, you know, there will be round three, too. So, um, please, go to um, SoundCloud, Aesthetic Resistance, and um, I guess if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are already at SoundCloud. Michael, thank you, man. Take care, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, John. Have a nice night. Adios.